0: CHAPTER THREE OF THE SPIRIT OF THE BORDER by Zane Gray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. CHAPTER THREE Joe lounged in the doorway of the cabin, thoughtfully contemplating two quiet figures that were lying in the shade of a maple tree. One he recognized as the Indian with whom Jim had spent an earnest hour that morning. The red sun of the woods was wrapped in slumber. He had placed under his head a many-hued, homespun shirt, which the young preacher had given him. But while asleep, his head had rolled off this improvised pillow, and the bright garment lay free, attracting the eye. Certainly it had led to the train of thought which had found lodgment in Joe's fertile brain. The other sleeper was a short, stout man, whom Joe had seen several times before. This last fellow did not appear to be well balanced in his mind, and was the butt of the settler's jokes, while the children called him Lurie. He, like the Indian, was sleeping off the effects of the previous night's dissipation. During a few moments Joe regarded the recumbent figures with an expression on his face which told that he thought in them were great possibilities for sport. With one quick glance around, he disappeared within the cabin and when he showed himself at the door, surveying the village square with mirthful eyes, he held in his hand a small basket of Indian design. It was made of twisted grass, and simply contained several bits of soft, chalky stone, such as the Indians used for painting, which collection Joe had discovered among the fur-traders' wares. He glanced around once more, and saw that all those in sight were busy with their work, He gave the short man a push and chuckled when there was no response other than a lazy grunt. Joe took the Indian's gaudy shirt and, lifting Lurie, slipped it around him, shoved the latter's arms through the sleeves, and buttoned it in front. He streaked the round face with red and white paint, and then, dexterously extracting the eagle plume from the Indian's headdress, stuck it in Lurie's thick shock of hair. It was all done in a moment, after which, Joe replaced the basket and went down to the river. Several times that morning he had visited the rude wharf where Jeff Lynn, the grizzled old frontiersman, busied himself with preparations for the raft journey down the Ohio. Lynn had been employed to guide the missionaries' party to Fort Henry, and as the brothers had acquainted him with their intention of accompanying the travelers, he had constructed a raft for them and their horses joe laughed when he saw the dozen two-foot logs fastened together upon which a rude shack had been erected for shelter this slight protection from sun and storm was all the brothers would have on their long journey joe noted however that the larger raft had been prepared with some thought for the comfort of the girls the floor of the little hut was raised so that the waves which broke over the logs could not reach it Taking a peep into the structure, Joe was pleased to see that Nell and Kate would be comfortable, even during a storm. A buffalo robe and two red blankets gave to the interior a cozy, warm look. He observed that some of the girl's luggage was already on board. When'll we be off, he inquired. Sun up, answered Lynn briefly. I'm glad of that. i like to be on the go in the early morning, said Joe cheerfully. Most folks from over east ways ain't in a hurry to tackle the river, replied Lynn, eyeing Joe sharply. It's a beautiful river, and I'd like to sail on it from here to where it ends, and then come back to go again, Joe replied warmly. In a hurry to be a goin', I'll allow you'll see some slim red devils with feathers in their hair slipping among the trees along the bank, and maybe you'll hear the ping which is made when whistlin' lead hits. Perhaps you want to be back here by tomorrow sundown nada said joe with his short cool laugh the old frontiersman slowly finished his task of coiling up a rope of wet cowhide and then producing a dirty pipe he took a live ember from the fire and placed it on the bowl he sucked slowly at the pipe stem and soon puffed out a great cloud of smoke sitting on a log he deliberately surveyed the robust shoulders and long heavy limbs of the young man with a keen appreciation of their symmetry and strength Agility, endurance, and courage were more to a border man than all else. A newcomer on the frontier was always sized up with reference to these points and respected in proportion to the measure in which he possessed them. Old Jeff Lynn, river man, hunter, frontiersman, puffed slowly at his pipe while he mused thus to himself. Maybe I'm wrong in taking a liken to this youngster so sudden. Maybe it's because I'm fond of his sunny-haired lass, and again, maybe it's because I'm getting old and likes young folks better than I once did. Anyway, I'm kinder thinking if this young feller gets worked out, save for about twenty pounds less, he'll lick a whole raft load of wildcats. Joe walked to and fro on the logs, ascertained how the raft was put together, and took a pull on the long, clumsy steering oar. At length he seated himself beside Lynn. He was eager to ask questions, to know about the rafts, the river, the forest, the Indians, everything in connection with this wild life. But already he had learned that questioning these frontiersmen is a sure means of closing their lips. Ever handled a long rifle? asked Lynn after a silence. Yes, answered Joe, simply. Ever shoot anything? the frontiersman questioned when he had taken four or five puffs at his pipe. Squirrels. Good practice shooting squirrels, observed Jeff after another silence, long enough to allow Joe to talk if he was so inclined. Can you hit one, say, a hundred yards? Yes, but not every time in the head, returned Joe. There was an apologetic tone in his answer. Another interval followed in which neither spoke. Jeff was slowly pursuing his line of thought. After Joe's last remark, he returned his pipe to his pocket and brought out a tobacco pouch. He tore off a large portion of the weed and thrust it into his mouth. Then he held out the little buckskin sack to Joe. Have it, Shaw, he said. To offer tobacco to anyone was absolutely a borderman's guarantee of friendliness toward that person. Jeff expectorated half a dozen times, each time coming a little nearer the stone he was aiming at, some five yards distant. Possibly this was the border man's way of oiling up his conversational machinery. At all events, he commenced to talk. Your brother's going to preach out there, ain't he? Preachin' is all right, I'll allow, but I'm kind of doubtful about preachin' to redskins. Howsomever, I've knowed injuns who are good fellas, and there's no tellin'. What are you going in for, a farmin? No, I wouldn't make a good farmer. "'Just come out kinder wild, like ev," eh? rejoined Jeff knowingly. "'I wanted to come west because I was tired of tame life. "'I loved the forest. "'I want to fish and hunt, and I think I'd like to... to see Indians.' "'I kinder thought so,' said the old frontiersman, nodding his head, "'as though he perfectly understood Joe's case. "'Well, lad, where you're goin' seein' Indians ain't a matter of choice. "'You has to see em, and fight too.' We've had bad times for years out here on the border, and I'm thinking wuss is coming. Did you ever hear the name Gertie? Yes, he's a renegade. He's a traitor, and Jim and George Girty, his brothers, are pious rattlesnake Injuns. Simon Girty's bad enough, but Jim's the wust. He's now wussering a full-blooded Delaware. He's all the time on the lookout to capture white women to take to his engine tepee. Simon Gurdy and his pals, McKee and Elliot, deserted from that thar fort right afore your eyes. They're now livin' among the Redskins down Fort Henry Way, raisin' as much hell for the settlers as they can. Is Fort Henry near the Indian towns? asked Joe. There's Delaware, Shawnees, and Hurons all along the Ohio below Fort Henry. Where is the Moravian mission located? Well, lad, the village of peace, as the Indians call it, is right in the midst of that Injun country. I expect it's a matter of a hundred miles below and cross-country a little from Fort Henry. The fort must be an important point, is it not? Well, I guess so. It's the last place on the river, answered Lynn with a grim smile. There's only a stockade there and a handful of men. The Injuns have stormed down on it time and again, but they have never burned it only such men as colonel zane and his brother jack and wetzel could have kept that fort standin all these bloody years eb zane's got but a few men yet he can handle em some and with such scouts as jack zane and wetzel he allus knows what's going on among the injuns i've heard of colonel zane he was an officer under lord dunmore the hunters here speak often of jack zane and wetzel what are they Jack Zane is a hunter and guide. I knowed him well a few years back. He's a quiet, mild chap, but a streak of chain and when he's riled. Wetzel is an engine killer. Some people say as how he's crazy over scalp hunting, but I reckon that's not so. I've seen him a few times. He don't hang around the settlements except when the engines are up and nobody sees him much. At home, he sits round silent-like and then maybe next morning he'll be gone and won't show up for days or weeks. But all the frontier knows of his deeds. For instance, I've heard of settlers getting up in the morning and findin' a couple of dead and scalped Injuns right in front of their cabins. No one knowed who killed them, but everybody says, Wetzel. He's always warning the settlers when they need to flee to the fort, and sure he's right every time because when these men go back to their cabins, they find nothing but ashes there couldn't be any farming done out there but for wetzel what does he look like questioned joe much interested wetzel stands straight as the oak over thar he'd have to go sideways to get his shoulders in that door but he's as light a foot and fast as a deer and his eyes why lad you can hardly look into him if you ever see wetzel you know him to once i want to see him joe spoke quickly his eyes lighting with an eager flash he must be a great fighter is he lou wetzel is the heftiest of em all and we have some as can fight out here i was down the river a few years ago and joined a party to go out and hunt up some redskins as had been reported wetzel was with us we soon struck engine sign and then come on to a lot of the pesky varmints we was all for going home because we had a small force. And when we started to go, we finds Wetzel sittin' calm like on a log. We said, ain't you going home? And he replied, I come out here to find Redskins, and now as we've found him, I'm not going to run away. And we left him settin' there. Oh, Wetzel is a fighter. I hope I shall see him, said Joe once more. The warm light which made him look so boyish still glowing in his face. Maybe you'll get to, and sure you'll see redskins, and not tame one's another. At this moment, the sound of excited voices near the cabins broke in on the conversation. Joe saw several persons run toward the large cabin and disappear behind it. He smiled as he thought perhaps the commotion had been caused by the awakening of the Indian brave. Rising to his feet, Joe went toward the cabin and soon saw the cause of the excitement a small crowd of men and women all laughing and talking surrounded the indian brave and the little stout fellow joe heard someone groan and then a deep guttural voice paleface big steel engine mad heap mad kill paleface after elbowing his way into the group joe saw the indian holding Lurie with one hand while he poked him on the ribs with the other the captive's face was the picture of dismay. Even the streaks of paint did not hide his look of fear and bewilderment. The poor half-witted fellow was so badly frightened that he could only groan. "'Silver-tipped, scalp, pale-face!' growled the savage, giving Lurie another blow on the side. This time he bent over in pain. The bystanders were divided in feeling. The men laughed, while the women murmured sympathetically this is not a bit funny muttered joe as he pushed his way nearly to the middle of the crowd then he stretched out a long arm that bare and brawny looked as though it might have been a blacksmith's and grasped the indian's sinewy wrist with a force that made him loosen his hold on lorry instantly i stole the shirt fun joke said joe scalp me if you want to scalp anyone the indian looked quickly at the powerful form before him with a twist he slipped his arm from joe's grasp big pale-face heap fun all squaw play he said scornfully there was a menace in his sombre eyes as he turned abruptly and left the group i'm afraid you made an enemy said jake winced to joe an indian never forgets an insult and that's how he regarded your joke silvertip has been friendly here because he sells us his pelts he's a shawnee chief there he goes through the willows by this time jim and mr wells mrs wentz and the girls had joined the group they all watched silvertip get into his canoe and paddle away a bad sign said wentz and then turning to jeff lynn who joined the party at that moment he briefly explained the circumstances never did like silver he's a crafty redskin and not to be trusted replied jeff he has turned around and is looking back nell said quickly So he has, observed the fur trader. The Indian was now several hundred yards down the swift river, and for an instant had ceased paddling. The sun shone brightly on his eagle plumes. He remained motionless for a moment, and even at such a distance the dark, changeless face could be discerned. He lifted his hand and shook it menacingly. If you don't hear from that red skin again, Jeff Lynn don't know nothing. Calmly said the old frontiersman. End of chapter three of The Spirit of the Border by Zane Gray. Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio.